0: You mean working? Excellent. Welcome back. Just, just as a fun side note, I was just having a chat with Keith just before, and if you didn't know, Keith celebrated his 70th wedding anniversary this week. How good is that? In this? So, yeah, I, I suppose Audrey did too, didn't she? As, yeah, I, I suppose Audrey celebrated as well, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, congrats. 70, 70 years of marriage, right? Isn't that a good goal to have? That's that's exciting. I, um, so you got married when you were 22. I was 22 when I got married. All right. It's a race now. We'll see. We'll see how we go. Uh, hey, uh, in our sermons as a church, this, uh, this last little while, we've, we've kind of been through and completed a sermon series. So Mike, Mike has finished that last week. And then next week, we're going to pick up the book of Romans again. And we're going to head into Romans chapter seven. Um, but just for this week, we're just doing a standalone message that's not attached to any other larger series. Um, but I, did, I thought it was a word that might um, might be particularly encouraging for some of us just at the present, um, and it was it was ready to go and timely. So if you would like to get a finger into the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, that's where we'll be today, Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, where we're going to be looking at one of the very famous parables of Jesus, of course the parables being a kind of teaching that Jesus would do, where he would take an ordinary everyday thing and use it to explain a spiritual reality, uh, and we're going to look at one of those Uh, illustrations today. And while you're getting there, here's here's a thought that's going to be helpful today. There there is a difference. There is a difference between awareness and understanding, a difference between awareness and understanding. You can be aware of a thing, you can know a thing happens, but have no understanding of how or why that thing happens. A good illustration. Um, There is a thing in my kitchen called a microwave. I am aware that if I put the food in the thing and I press the button, that two and a half minutes later my food will be hot, or sometimes my food will be cold and the plate my food is sitting on will be hot. One of those two things will take place. I'm aware that that happens. I have no understanding of why that happens. I can can explain to you why an oven makes my food hot. The fire is hot, the food gets hot. That makes sense to me. I have understanding of the oven. But when it comes to the microwave, I have no understanding. The best i can offer you and maybe your understanding is better than mine it's some combination of a a nuclear device a faraday cage and perhaps some sort of black sorcery that's that's the best that i've got for why it is that a microwave uh will work it is well possible that each time i press the go button on that device that i'm making some sort of blood pact that i don't understand like like that that could be that could be it it could be am i am i am i using up a year of my life every time i press the button other questions. Why, when I press the button, does the food get hot, but my house doesn't? What? Isn't that creepy? I, I would wager, I would wager, that of the, you know, 80 or so people sitting here this morning, that none of us understand why it is a microwave work. Someone's going to come up to me afterwards and tell me why. I'd actually like to understand. I have no understanding. Here's another one. Halloumi. It's a cheese. You can cook it, and it doesn't melt. What? I'm aware that that happens. I have no understanding why it is that Hulumi does not melt. Uh, Today, we are going to look at a parable of Jesus, which gives us um, understanding about some principles concerning the kingdom of God. He explains to us some of the mechanics of what we can expect to see in the kingdom. And that understanding helps us make sense of the kinds of experiences that we will have as we live the life of faith. It's a famous passage, Uh, and yet it's one that I believe most of us miss the main point on um, when we, when we hear sermons on it. So why don't we take a look? Cause that's a, that's an inflammatory thing to say. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 13 and here's the context. Um, this is Jesus' public ministry. So this is, this is the, the popularity phase of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's still teaching in the region, uh, north of Jerusalem around the sea of Galilee, but his his teaching ministry and the miracles that kind of come around it has been increasing in popularity. Jesus is is causing something of a a stir. If we read the previous few chapters, Jesus has recently cast a demon out of a man, which had made him deaf and mute. Um, I think deaf and dumb has a better ring to it, but they don't say that anymore. Um, So he's he's restored sight and speech to a man by casting out a demon. Uh, And now there's this question amongst the people in the crowd. This Jesus guy who's doing all of this teaching, who's doing these miracles, is this more than a man? Who is this? Is it possible that this Jesus is the son of David they're asking? And yet at the same time, whilst the people are asking this questions, the religious leaders, the Pharisees are not such a big fan of some of the things that are going down. uh, And they are opposing him and trying to hit him with all the the dodgy questions to try and sink him. That all happened like yesterday. uh, And then today Jesus gets up again and wants to preach. And it says that there's just this absolutely huge crowd that has gathered. Um, And Jesus says, "Okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to preach to this giant crowd. And what he has to do, he gets into a boat, pushes out onto the water and sits down in the boat in order for that to be his lectern. And instead of of this, he's got a boat so that all the people can hear him and see him from the the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. And he begins this extended block of teaching where he teaches them in parables. Um, There's a whole collection of them. We're just looking at the first one today Um, and we'll start in verse one. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Uh, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced again, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the next bit in the passage is a bit of a side note where the disciples ask Jesus why it is that he's teaching in parables and he answers them with a very profound answer which is um, pretty much a distraction for our purposes today even though it's a wonderful portion of scripture. The short version is he tells them that the parables have a spiritual effect. They they, they divide, they they separate the sheep from the goats. By, By teaching people in these everyday illustrations it kind of separates out those who are listening to God from those who will not. Um, And then after that, he explains this parable about the sower that he's just told us before we pick it up in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was the seed that was sown along the path. Um, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and uh, yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. As Jesus said before, he has ears, let him hear. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard this. This is, this is a very famous passage of scripture. It's, it's not one that's obscure. It's well known. It's familiar. Uh, but for some reason, pretty much every sermon that I have ever heard on this passage has made the mistake, and I'll call it a mistake, of rushing straight to application. What's the application? Be the good soil, right? That's, that's, that's the sermon that we hear. And that's, it's not bad. It's not like that's heresy. That's definitely in there, isn't it? Be the good soil. That's good advice. Um, the problem is that in rushing to that specific application, we miss the main point of what Jesus is doing in this parable, which is not to tell us to do something. Primarily, this parable exists to give us understanding to give us understanding we can get to the application and we will um, but before that it's really worth our while to catch the main thing that this parable is on about before we move on to the secondary thing that this parable is on about because that main thing is here to bless us it's here to give us understanding it's here for comfort and strength Um, i think actually the reason why we run aground like this is the issue of perspective so let me illustrate once every two years i get to use an illustration like this okay I get, to bring, I get to bring a prop to church. Um, this is a no longer a cricket bale. Uh, this, is, this is now a timeline that goes from... Which side doesn't make sense from, from your angle? It goes from this way to this way, doesn't it? So this is the beginning and this is the end. This is how we experience time, isn't it, as people? We experience time sequentially. We don't know what comes next in the story. We don't know what comes next in life. until it has taken place. That is how we as humans experience time. And because of that, there is a temptation when we hear the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, as it is sometimes called, to, um, to rush straight to application. We try and understand this parable from that perspective. From that perspective, this parable could seem to mean like, who are the different kinds of soil? Well, if we don't know what comes next, if we experience time sequentially, we may come to the conclusion that in my lifetime, I could move from this section of my life where I'm the hard soil to I meet Jesus and now I'm the soft soil to now in this part of my life, I become the rocky soil and then I figure it out again and I go back to being the good soil and then I, I, I start worrying about riches as I get older. We could think that we can jump between these categories and that's how we understand this, this illustration, which is why we run straight to the application of be the good soil. If you can be different kinds of soil, you should be the good one. That's, that's, that's an obvious thing to say. That's good advice. It's good advice. It's not bad advice. Um, but that is not the perspective that this parable speaks from. God's view of history is different to our view of history. God's relationship with time, to put it as simply as I can, is different to our experience of time. He relates to it differently. Um, for him, we're told by the prophets that God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. The future holds no surprises for our Lord. He, dec- he declares it in advance His perspective on time is more like this. Imagine you took this timeline and you turned it this way, and by looking straight down the hole like a telescope, you could see the sum total of the whole of human history all in one go. That's God's relationship with time. It's different to ours. That perspective is the perspective that Jesus is illustrating for us. This this parable isn't illustrating the day-to-day life of a person, not knowing what will come next in the story. This parable is describing the whole life of a human from beginning to end. Do you understand? When all is, said is, when all is said and done, it will be seen that each and every one of us here will have proved to be just one of these kinds of soil. Just one of these kinds of soil. Yet, uh, don't, don't misunderstand. Yes, there are prodigals. We see that, don't we? People who were, were in the faith and kind of decided to, to muck about with the deceitfulness of riches, for example, to, to, to muck about with, with worldliness, who, who fall away and then come back to us. That, that does happen, and that person will have proved to be the good soil, right? So, so to say that there's, at the end of your life, you'll only be one kind of soil doesn't mean that there won't be hiccups in the, in the kind of progressive journey through time. It means that when all is said and done, you'll be one of these, just one. There will be some of us who, by the end of our race, will have proved to be the kind of soil where the seed bears fruit and multiplies. And there will be some of us who, for a time, ran well and fell away and never came back. And there'll be some of us who the word of God bounced straight off and never had any impact whatsoever. That's the only kinds of people who exist. Ultimately, on your dying day, one of these illustrations will describe you. That's what Jesus is saying. Application is not the primary thing on display here. Understanding is. Understand this. Different people will respond differently to the same word of God. Different people will prove to be different kinds of soil. Take this knowledge and turn it into an expectation. This is what we should expect to see in life and in ministry. When any of these things happen, don't be surprised. This is normal. This is how Jesus told us it would be. So we should not be surprised when life is this way. And so as the kingdom of God goes forward as we experience life with Jesus, we should expect to see all of these things take place, that is business as usual, in the kingdom of God, this side of heaven. Why don't we look at them one at a time and see what we understand now that we have that perspective in mind. Let's look at them, the beginning. First thing that we're told in this passage is that the sower sows the seed. We'd probably call that a farmer, wouldn't we? Because sowers do a different thing. For them, the sower is a farmer who is planting the seeds. We are told that the seed is, as Jesus says, the word of the kingdom. The seed is the word of the kingdom. It's God's own word. It's the Bible's message. It's the content of Jesus' life and preaching. As the word goes out, as the word of God goes out, people hear this word and respond in different ways. And even there, we have our first lesson. What is it that puts people into each of these categories of soil what is the thing that creates this in the world and the answer is the seed how you respond to the seed is what decides what category of person you are and the seed is what the word of god that's the seed not your words not my words god's word his message we proclaim. This is really important for us to understand. Our job in ministry, our job as people who are living lives of mission in this world, is to sow the word of God. That's what we're meant to do. That's the sowing that creates the kingdom. No one wants to hear my opinions about random things. That's not why we come here on a Sunday, is it? My, my opinions are, at best, mildly disinteresting. Right? I've, seen, I've seen the way that you look at me when I get going. When, when your eyes get glassy. And I know that you're waiting for me to stop and I don't care that you're waiting for me to stop because I'm interested. (laughs) That's that's not why we gather here on a Sunday. The life of ministry that Jesus calls us into is a life of not just on Sunday, but all of life spreading the word of God. We do it in different ways. There's lots of ways to sow the seed. I'm doing one of them right now. We do it by preaching. Later, we'll do it by discussing what we've heard in the Word. We explain the word of God to those who don't understand. We encourage one another with the word of God to obey and to persevere and to believe and to hope and to trust. This is all sowing. But what we are sowing is not my opinion or yours or my wisdom or yours. Ultimately, the most important thing, the crucial thing, the non-negotiable is that we sow God's own words. That's what ministry is. Get them out there. Yes, do it by your actions and make sure that you preach the same message with your actions that you're preaching with your mouth. But preach it with your mouth. Get God's word out there. God's words are better than your words. God's word creates the kingdom. Such, such a relieving thing to know. Just that the kingdom of God is not built on your wisdom. The, the, the kingdom of God is not built on your skill as a communicator. The kingdom of God is not built on your perfect obedience or your perfect presentation. Our job in ministry is to spread the word of God. The sower and so is the word. It's good news. Now, when we do that, what takes place? Verse 4 and verse 19. First of all, the first category of, of response that we see in the life of a person is the response of the, the hard soil, we call it, the, the path. Um, Jesus says, as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. And when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Picture it with me. This is, this is the illustration. There's, there's a farmer walking around a paddock and he's planting, I don't, let's, let's pick a crop, sorghum, because it's fun to say, right? It, was that a you grow sorghum nudge that you were just giving your, your, your new husband? It's in gluten-free wheat picks. So you could call them sorghum bicks, I suppose. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Like most gluten-free food. What we've learned today is that our, our farmer is, he's not a particularly accurate man. He's, he's scattering the seed. And some of the seed is landing in the garden. And some of the seed is landing on the footpath next to the garden, maybe separating one paddock from the next paddock. It's where the tractor's got to go. They don't have tractors, but let's pretend. All right? As he sows the seed, some of it falls along the path. And the problem is the, the path is well-traveled. The path is not the kind of place where you like to plant plants because over time the ground there has become compacted and hard. It's, there's, there's no penetration happening. The seed is not going into the soil. This is not tilled earth. This is hard ground where the soil is, is, is a shield. The, the seed lands on the top and on the top it stays and what happens to the seed which is left sitting on top of the soil? It's the same thing that happens to my veranda every day, about four o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, where those neighbors, the birds come, and they eat the seed, um, and it doesn't produce any fruit, except for when they make a mess, and it goes into the garden where it doesn't belong. Jesus explains to us that there is a person who is like this footpath. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. this is what was sown along the path. There is a response that we will see in this life to the Word of God. For some people, the response will be zip. It won't penetrate, it won't go in. It won't get past the defences. You will sow the Word, someone will sow the Word, and in that moment, that person is sitting this close to eternal life. They've encountered the actual kingdom of the God who made them and left unfaced. What, what a great tragedy. Jesus tells us that that he has an enemy, the evil one, who comes and snatches away what has been sown, lest it bears fruit. Before it has a chance to do anything, this is the seed that was sown along the path. Ultimately, when all is said and done, at the end of days, when God separates the sheep from the goats, there will be some there who encountered the word of God and just walked unaffected. We grieve for them. We don't want this to be the case. And yet this is how it will be. Expect to see this take place. The next response is the response of the rocky soil. This, this starts a lot better. Other seed fell on rocky ground. We read in verse 5 and then verse 20 for the explanation and 21. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. As for what was sown on rocky ground, says Jesus in verse 20, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he he falls away. Here's the next response we should expect to see. This one's, this one's distressing. I, I, I don't think we're particularly shocked when we spread the word of God, we spread this, we sow the seed, and someone says, "Thanks, but no thank you," and walks away unchanged. I think we've all experienced that to some degree. This one feels different. This seed lands on a different kind of soul, which which responds positively and immediately. This looks like. By first glance, this looks exactly the same as the good soil. You you and I can be fooled by this. God God is not fooled, but you and I can be. We see this take place. We see the life spring into existence. We as a church begin to celebrate. And you, brother or sister, yes, the kingdom of God is growing. This is the, the best of days. But then some stuff happens, and they leave never to return. Have you experienced this yet? It's distressing, isn't it? Jesus explains to us that it's like seed falling on rocky ground. This is, this is where the, the earth hasn't been prepared properly, right? This is, this, is, this is soil that's an inch deep, and underneath that is not soil, but, but rocks. And the, let's say, I don't know much about sorghum, but let's just say sorghum can't grow in, in an inch of soil. It needs a bit more in order for the plant to arise. So what happens? We scatter the seed, and immediately it germinates immediately it starts to, to bear fruit and to live. The, the, the little green shoots are coming up through the soil. It looks exactly like what should be happening when you plant the seed and success has happened. And it begins to grow and it begins to put out shoots and maybe it starts to get a little bud on it. It's going, it's going, it's going. Everything is looking as good as it possibly can look. And then we hit summer and it just turns out that this plant, its roots were too shallow. It hadn't, It's not able to dig deep and drink. And in the, in the heat of the summer, in the scorching sun, the plant just dies. It just withers. Jesus tells us that that scorching heat is the heat of persecution on account of the word. That's, that's a very specific phrase he uses. On account of the word. This is not just life was tricky. This was following Jesus came at a cost that I was not prepared to pay. I was persecuted for being a Christian. I was ridiculed and mocked for daring to believe that the word of God is true. I was criticized and described as immoral because I dared to believe that God's morality is better than the morality of our our world, I spoke, I sowed the seed, and I got angry pushback in response, which I wasn't expecting, and suddenly I'm rethinking everything because the approval of the crowd is more important to me than the word of God. They were persecuted, they experienced tribulation, difficulty, on account of the word of God, and fell away. This is the person, this is the soul whose response to the kingdom is immediate, but it's only an inch deep. It has no root. It looks like faith until it's tested, but it proves not to be faith. This is distressing. We don't like this. This is not good. It's not good for them. It's sad for us and them. And yet, understand, you'll see this. When this takes place, don't be surprised. Nothing has gone wrong. This is how Jesus told us life will be. He hasn't failed. You haven't failed, necessarily. This is how it will be. The next response is the response of the thorny ground. Verse 7, and the explanation is in verse 22. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. As for what was sown amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is, this is the seed that falls in ground where something else is growing alongside the seed. Something else that's that's more aggressive, grows faster, and in the competition of the two plants, the, the weed wins over the real plant. Have you had this happening in your gardens? We have this thing in our backyard um, called asparagus weed. Have you, have you experienced aspar- asparagus weed? It's basically like if sin was a plant. Right? This, it, we just I cannot kill this thing, no matter how hard I try. And because it keeps growing up over, over, along the trellis on our fence, nothing but asparagus weed is growing on the trellis on our fence because I've given up trying to kill this thing. Sometimes as, as the sower sows the seed, it lands on soil and it begins to grow, which is good, but sitting next to the good seed is, is some kind of bad seed which grows up alongside the good seed and begins to strangle the life out of it, kind of like a... I mean, we live in Queensland here, right? The Morton Bay fig is a beautiful plant which grows over the top of another tree until it strangles all the life out of the base tree and the tree rots on the inside. So you get these giant hollow things with nothing in the middle where once there used to be a tree, a gum tree of some sort, and now you just have the fig. Except figs are too beautiful to use as a negative illustration. Jesus says that there are some souls like this. Someone hears the word of God, there's a hearing. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Alongside the fruit of the kingdom, along, alongside the life of, of God's kingdom, is growing something else. That's something else to two classic illustrations. The cares of the world. The cares of the world. The worries of this life. Look, I, I could continue to pursue the kingdom of God. I could continue to grow. I could continue to, to prioritize in my, in my time and my effort and my energy and my attention, my walk with the Lord. But I really want that holiday. I really want that promotion. I really want that lifestyle. I really want this. And now the king of God is is competing with an idol. And if I have to choose between which one is going to get my care and my love and my attention, Jesus tells us you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. So either you'll grow to hate your idols, or your idols will cause you to live as one who hates God. We see this. Here's the other one the deceitfulness of riches. Isn't that a great phrase? The deceitfulness of riches. Riches promise things to us, but they're lying. I'm feeling this one at the moment, right? Elise and I have been stuck for like two years in the place of looking for a house, looking for somewhere to live, and it's just getting harder and harder to find a rental in the city of Brisbane. And I just think to myself, if we just had all the money and I could just buy a house, we wouldn't have this problem. Life would be so much easier if we have riches. What's so deceitful about that, right? Riches genuinely do provide us with some kind of security, at least in the here and now. Like the riches are a good thing in general. Uh, but here's the problem. There's a way to get them. I would have to not do the things God has called me to do because I can't serve two masters. And I could live my life pursuing the riches. I'll get around to God when I've got time. For us, it, I mean, it, this is not true for everyone, but for us, it really is at this present moment in our lives, a decision between obeying the call of the Lord on our life or ignoring it and pursuing money. I, I, I feel that every day. At least, would be sitting here pointing at me going, I knew it! What about this one? We see this all too often, the cares of the world. Um, Our church, like so many other, we have got so many more single women than we do single men. We see this in churches all the time. And when you're in your 20s and you're single, it hurts a little bit. And when you're in your 30s and you're single, it's worrying. And also often we see, see as, as, as people get older, that the urgency of the need to marry increases and the standards which they would hold a potential spouse to decrease. And suddenly people who were holding out for a, a Christian man, stereotypically, right, are now willing to compromise and just to marry anyone who's interested. This, this happens so often as to be, I'm sure we've all seen this. And, and it's a tragedy. This is the, the, the fruit was growing, but now the cares of this world are beginning to strangle the life of the kingdom and, and, and to compete with it. And it's a tragedy, because it will strangle the life of the kingdom. It will. You, what, are you, what are you doing in that situation? You are trading, you are trading eternal life and the riches of God's kingdom for temporary stability and companionship and security. And yes, it's a big piece of bait. I, I get it. I get the appeal, but it's a bad trade. Jesus tells us you're not even going to be married in heaven. <laughs> it's for this life only. Bummer. Yes, but true. It's not a good. What? Not a good trade. Some of the seed falls on Thorny soil. Weeds are growing in the soil. And whilst the plant begins to grow, eventually the plant dies because it's competing with another kind of seed which hasn't been cleared out beforehand. Expect to see this. And then lastly, we see what we want to see. We see the good soil in verse 8. with its explanation in verse 23. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some... 30 verse 23 as for what was sown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold another 60 and in another 30 this is this is what we want to see this is this is this is when the the seed lands on a kind of soil and it just explodes into life the kingdom of God appears and takes root and multiplies in a person so that they are completely transformed. Not just them, but people around them start to encounter. These people aren't just the good soil. They become the sowers who are sowing the seed for the next generation of believers to, to come into the church. There's a multiplication of blessing that takes place when someone encounters the word of God like that. So many of, of you here today are the good soil. And I'm so grateful to fellowship with you. This is such a beautiful thing. This is what we want to see. This is, this is the true believer. This is what it looks like. It's not, understand that this is, what defines this person is not what we expected them to do in response to the seed. How often are we wrong about who will prove to be the good soil? I, I am delighted, delighted at how often God proves me wrong. And someone's faith just explodes into life. And I think, I sat there thinking, I didn't think that was the one. Meanwhile, the one who I thought was the one turns out to be the rocky soil, right? I, we can't predict this. The, the, We don't know who is going to be which kind of soil. That's not what we're meant to take away from this. What we're meant to take away from this is just scatter the seed liberally. Go nutso with it. Do not care if it lands on the hard soil. Just put it everywhere and some people will explode into life. We're about to start the Alpha course later today. They do an interview later on with a couple of ladies who just were dropping Bibles in letterboxes in one of those closed countries where you're not allowed to preach openly. Bibles in letterboxes. And a couple of years later at a conference, they run into someone who just hunts them down and says, I just needed to speak to you. You did it in my letterbox and I became a believer and my life has been transformed. And that's all it took. We don't know who is going to prove to be the good soil. It's not up to us. Actually, look, we finally found one thing in here that maybe is our job. Maybe. Other than just sowing the seed. It says, um, the one who hears the word in verse 23 and understands it. Okay. Maybe what we are contributing is, is some degree of when we sow the seed, are we doing it in such a way that it can be understood? I'll give you that one. Are you speaking the same language as the people you're speaking to? That helps. Are, are, you, are you explaining it in a way that it's clear and not muddling it? That's a good idea. But don't go running away with that as if like the whole thing hangs on your ability to explain. Because this is, not <laughs> this is not meant to be placing this all on you, do you understand? Think about who's preaching here—Jesus Himself—and some of the people who are listening to this very sermon are proving to be the good soil, and some of the people who are listening to this very sermon are proving to be the hard soil. It's not because he's not explaining himself. This is different kinds of people. The, what, what separates the different kind of people is not you. That's not your place in this. It's something else. There is a kind of person. This, this is ultimately this understanding is, is spiritual. This is. This is God-enabled. This is the Spirit's work and the Word's work, not your work. There is a kind of person who encounters the Word of God and the Spirit says, yes, let's go. And they explode into faith and he drags them, either kicking and screaming or joyfully, into the kingdom of God. Usually the kicking and screaming becomes joyfully. That's what makes the good soil the good soil. And they go, they go. Not, not everyone bears the same fruit. Do you see that? Of the good soils, not everybody lives the same life. One 100-fold, another 60, and another 30. God's not pointing the finger at the one who bears fruit 30-fold and goes, how dare you? That's not what's happening. Different kinds of fruit come from different kinds of people. That's okay. What all of these have in common, though, is that the growth is an order of magnitude greater than what was sown in them. Like, think, think about you, who are the good soil here today. Think about um, how it is that the kingdom of God was first, that you first encountered it. What happened? Some friend? some family member, TV show, podcast on the internet. I'm counting that one more and more as we go on. It didn't used to be a thing. But somewhere, somehow, you encountered the seed and it grabbed a hold of your life. And now you're growing. And the kingdom of God is exploding in you. And it's bearing fruit. And if you were to talk to the person who was the sower, who sowed the seed, that, that saw you into the kingdom of God and said, thank you so much for what you did to me. It's, it's, it's such a big blessing. They'd be like, I didn't even think you were listening. I thought I did a terrible job in that conversation. Like, I don't even remember the conversation. One of those sorts of responses. I didn't do anything. And I didn't. They sowed the seed. That's all they did. And God did the rest. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what do we do with this? What's our application? Let's let's get it out of the way because it is a good one. Let's start with the secondary. This is absolutely worth saying. Be the good soil. It's good advice. Do it. How do you be the good soil? What is it that separates the good soil from all the other kinds of soil? It's this one thing, one thing. Listen, listen, listen to the word of God. Listen to the word of God. When you encounter God's word, be it in in, in fellowship, in in preaching, in your worship at home. When you encounter God's word, receive it with joy. Let it in. Pray that it would have its full effect in you. Obey it in faith. Listen to the word of God. Are you a Christian? Have you heard God's own word? Have you done this? Have you heard the good news about salvation through faith in Jesus? Have you entered into his kingdom and have you been born again? Do you understand that the life of faith that God intends for us is one of listening to him and obeying him and trusting him? That is the highest worship that we can give him, to believe him, to believe God, which he counts as righteousness. Hear him and obey him and continue to do that for the rest of your life. That's the Christian life. It's a spiritually enabled thing. It's a grace enabled thing, but get it done. Listen to the word of God. We don't want to be the other kinds of soil. You don't don't want to be that. There are some specific things that he named that will cause us to reject him eventually. You want a practical application? Avoid those things. Are any of these present in your life? As we read the parable of the soils, did you go, "Uh uh-oh, are you hard to God? Does the word of God bounce off you and have no effect? Even though you're you're sitting here in church on a Sunday Sunday, Are your ears closed to what God has to say to you particularly rather than to someone else? Do not be the hard soil. Are you here but resistant to him? Is your faith shallow and without substance and you've been content to leave it there? Are you the rocky soil? Have you failed um, to do what um, John the Baptist called us to do and to make way for the Lord's anointed? To prepare a place for him? Have you neglected to grow deep roots that will prepare you to face the kinds of price that we need to pay in this fallen world in order to follow Jesus. Are you messing about with worldliness? Thinking that it can't hurt you? The thorny soil? Money, pleasures, in the place of worship, that's the critical piece. It's not sin to have money, you can have it. And if God gives it to you, good on him, I'm glad he did. Don't worship it. The love of money is the root of all different kinds of evil. It's deceitful. It's time to sort that out. If you want to be the good soil, let the word of God understand today what the word of God says to you. Put those things out of your life and let the word dwell in you richly and produce its fruit. Cooperate with the spirit as he brings this life into you. To understand that these other things, they will kill your soul. And that's forever. They're not toys, they're dangerous. Jesus has come to rescue us from our idols. That's very important that we let him do that. And so receive that word and respond in faith. That's how you be the good soul. But also, now that we have considered this parable from a different perspective, looking at a a whole of a human life from the end, does that cause us to see some applications that previously were invisible to us? What is the primary message of this parable? It's this. Understand. Understand, that's the primary message. Why? Why is it that we need to know this? Why would Jesus bother saying this out loud if it's not you or I who decides ultimately what a person is going to be? As we live the life of faith, there is a thing which is going to happen. We are going to see all of these responses to the word of God in our lifetime. Every one of them. And when you see them, if you are not prepared, if you did not know that this is how it's going to be, it can be quite distressing. When, When someone who was running well falls away we have an emotional reaction to this it's discouraging it feels like capital emphasis on feels it's not true but it feels like the kingdom of god has failed doesn't it it feels like god's word hasn't accomplished something we we worry that our god is not who he says he is we don't say that out, out loud too often but the doubt creeps in i thought god loved us what how did that happen and, and what is more, sometimes we can turn that into a kind of false guilt. We can, we can blame ourselves for something which is not ours to carry. I think ultimately this is what Jesus is trying to relieve us from. Look like, at like this. The, the older I get, my, the longer my list grows. Maybe you've got one too. Of people who once ran well and who have fallen away. I, I, I imagine that will continue until my dying day. And that list will get longer and longer and longer because this world has fallen. Great example. I first came to church and heard the gospel and received it with joy because three of my school friends invited me to church. And of those three, one follows the Lord today. One. We worry something has gone wrong. Has God failed? Is it my fault? Is there something wrong with the message? Was it not enough? And then we begin to, when we're thinking like that, this is, this is the last bad compensation we make for this. We begin to think it's our job to fix what went wrong. We do this as individuals and we do this as churches. What can we do to prevent this, we ask? Do we need to use a different kind of seed? If, if, like, if I, could just, if I could just take the seed and just shave the harsh bits off it that people don't like, maybe more people would listen. You feel tempted to do that one? Just, just, if I just took away every offensive thing Jesus ever said, he'd be more popular. So maybe I can just sow some of the seed rather than, than all of the seed. If I could just tweak the message and change it a little. If I was just nicer. Like if I was just, if I was just better at explaining myself, I just, it's my fault. I didn't do a good job of saying, I just, it's, it's all on me. And understand we can sin, that's That's possible. And we can misrepresent the message of of Jesus and we need self-reflection to catch those things. Sometimes we are preaching a different message with our lives than we do with our words. Sometimes we we are reluctant to sow the seed at all, right? You've You've got to catch actual sin. That's true. That is not what Jesus is describing here. It is possible, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. It is possible that as you live a life of mission, as we participate in the life of our church, as we invite people to to Alpha and and to youth ministry, as we talk with our neighbors, it is possible that you can do and say all the right things and people will still reject Jesus. And it's not your fault. Do you know how I know this? Because Jesus himself walked this earth and people heard him and rejected him and he has never sinned. If they rejected him, they will not all listen to you. I just, if I get nothing else done today, I want to just take that burden off your shoulders and just pick it up and remove it. Never let it be there again. This is the most life-giving piece of knowledge. This is, this is freedom. You are not called to force people to respond. Yes, we care. Yes, we grieve when they walk away. And as they walk, they, let, let us hope that they walk called and loved and prayed for. We can do that. It's not that we're emotionally immune to the fallenness of this world. But if you think someone else's response to the word of God sits entirely on your shoulders, if you're putting that kind of pressure on yourself, you will never try. You will burn out. You will give up. God does not expect that of you. You are not batting at a strike rate of one is the one you will sow the seed and some will reject it and some will listen and then reject it even if you are perfect and then some will listen some will listen you won't even know you're doing it you will just be doing the thing that we do all the time as Christians you will just be talking about your Lord out loud And your colleague at the next desk will be like tell me more it's like are you kidding me that doesn't happen it does that 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 wayward child who you've been praying for for years and decades will just it'll just occur to them i i I was talking this week with my friend who's a, a pastor in south australia he met the lord whilst i was a pastor in alice springs as a part of our church his brother was the senior pastor of the church he was the most frustrating unbeliever i had ever met Because he loved Jesus to bits. He thought the the Bible was wonderful. Read it all the time. Lived a messy, messy life. Didn't didn't follow him. And every now and then, like every couple of years, he'd be like, you know what? It's time for me to get it sorted out. I'm going to start taking God seriously. I'm going to start behaving. I'm going to be different tomorrow. But he wouldn't be. And then one day, we get the phone call from him. I've met the Lord. He saved me. I'm going to be a Christian. Okay, we'll come and have lunch and we'll hear it again. We sat down with him and he's explaining to us, Do you, you don't understand, I was trying to follow the Lord and clean myself up and, and then maybe he'd accept me and it just occurred to me that grace was a thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> You've been reading the Bible for 10 years and you hadn't picked up grace was a thing? Yeah. But it, the seed had penetrated. His life exploded. He's, he's serving the Lord as a, as a vocation today. You will see that. You will be the agent that causes that. Not because you were smart. Not because you had good arguments. Because of the Word of God. And because it's about the Word of God. And because it's about the Spirit of God. You can do it. If you, if you go into this life of mission thinking, I've got to coerce people into... That's too much pressure. But if you go into this life thinking, my job is just to sow the seed and then watch the Spirit work. I can do that. Like, it'll be hard when we get rejected. It'll be hard when we get persecuted, but... That's possible. That's that's meaningful. It's joyful. This is the life that God intends for you to have. Different people will respond differently to the word of God. This is how he has told us it will be beforehand. And this calls us to understand our proper place. Our life in mission is primarily about sowing the seed of the word of God. Different people will respond differently. Some will reject him. Some will briefly respond. And some will listen to you. They will listen to you, and their life will become an explosion of fruitful faith. Let's pray. Father, we love your kingdom. What is more exciting than a baptism? where someone stands up here amongst us and tells us about the saving work that you have brought into their life, how it has changed them now and forever. How beautiful is it when someone who had embraced sin as Lord and was a slave to it walks away and lives in the freedom of the Spirit. How delightful is it when we see someone who did not understand come to understanding, sees you for who you are, and sees your grace for the, for the precious thing that it is, and sees Jesus as precious and delightful. How wonderful is it? How wonderful is it when relationships are reconciled in the wake of repentance and forgiveness and a new hope? We love your kingdom and we want want you to establish it here. We want to see that multiplication, we want to see people go from death to life. We want to see people set free from bondage and slavery to sins. We want people who are pursuing the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches as their God. Put those things down. Limit them into their proper place and to follow you. This is our joy. This is our hope. Lord, for those of us who believe today, I pray that you would rescue us from a misunderstanding of the belief that our place in this process is central. That without my perfection, it can't work. Would you release us today from an undue pressure, from a false guilt that can be so crippling, if we don't let go of it. Lord, would you convict us with your beautiful redeeming grace if we have been silent or afraid as a result of this false guilt? Convict us not so that we would be condemned, so we would be restored and set free to live boldly in this world. would we sow liberally and generously and constantly would we sow the word of god would we sow it with our words and with our actions would we preach the same message with our mouths as with our hands would that fruit be taking place in our own lives lord clear away the rocks clear away the thorns prepare the soil, and then bring a harvest a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, what has been sown in us. And in others we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and responding worship.